Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are two opposing forces that dwell within every baptized Christian. They are at war within each other. They both direct our behaviors, they both guide our attitudes in life, they both want control over our hearts and our minds. Make no mistake, there is a war that is being fought within you, and both sides claim to be on the side that is good, that is right, and is true. Yet one side is killing you, while the other side has the promise of life. The flesh and the spirit... These two stand opposed to each other, and they are vying for total supremacy over your heart, your life, your mind, your body, and your soul. They are engaged in a spiritual tug of war, pulling you in two different directions. And that is why St. Paul today takes great care to tell us what we ought to think of these two opposing forces, how we are to recognize them, and what we should pursue so as not to be entangled in the deadly habits of the flesh. You see, God's Holy Spirit is a bringer of life, so that is what we as God's holy people should rejoice in. Those things, those gifts, those work of the Spirit. And it all begins when God justifies us. As God declares us to be holy and perfect through the work of his Son, Jesus comes down from heaven. You see, he's born in our flesh as a man, but he does not sin. He suffers, he dies, he is buried, and on the third day, he rises again. He sends his Holy Spirit, and we believe. It's in Christ's perfect act of obedience to the Father that God reckons us to be righteous. He justifies us. He makes us holy. And as he sends his Holy Spirit into the world to call us to faith in Jesus, that we might receive this perfect gift in faith. We receive Jesus by faith. We trust in Jesus, and we receive what Jesus promises. And God makes, through this gift, sinners into righteous people as he makes us righteous through the work and for the sake of and in the promises of Jesus. And the Spirit testifies to what Jesus has done through his word and his sacraments. When we read the Bible, when we hear the word preached, when we are baptized, when we receive the Lord's Supper, the Spirit of God is making testimony to us that Jesus has died for you, that Jesus has forgiven you, that Jesus gives you life. He makes sinful unbelievers through these things into faithful saints. And this is a work that's completely alien to us. As we were dead in our sins, through God's perfect and holy intervention, we are made alive in Christ Jesus. Being brought from death to life is a work that only God can take credit for. It belongs to his promise that is received by faith alone, and it is gifted by the Holy Spirit alone, just as it says in Ephesians 2, and you he made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sin, 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, we see that the flesh, our sinful nature, and the spirit are at work within us. One is killing, the other is making us alive in the gospel of Christ. And both of these are working to produce fruit in your life. You can see evidence of both of these. As your sinful flesh rears its ugly head, the flesh bears fruit. You see, the fruit destroys. The fruit hurts. As we think about our sinful flesh, it drives us away from the gospel of Christ. It causes people to perpetrate every sort of sinful and destructive action that we see around us in the world. Everything from sexual sin to idolatry to selfish greed, he says that these fruits are evident, and you can see them. They are obvious. When they are at work within us, we are called to flee from them, to suppress them, to discipline our bodies and our lives so that they do not have continual mastery over us. We are called not to continually walk in them. When you see them, you know them. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And God says these things will destroy you, not just physically, but eternally. This way of life causes a man to reject and spurn God himself. And this earns us nothing but death and hell. As Paul warns, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, the fruits of the flesh all mark a life that is free from the Spirit of God. This life of the flesh has no love. It has no self-control. It has no consideration for consequence. It's all about gratifying my immediate desires, scratching that immediate itch, and it throws itself into sexual perversion. It despises marriage and family. It causes one to think of himself before considering others. It elevates the desires of man over and above the will of God. It causes man to recast God into his own image as he stands sovereign over the will of God. It makes us insecure so that we lash out in anger whenever our outward walk is challenged by somebody else. And of course, it leads us to deep internal emptiness. It creates nothing but a sadness and a longing for what is good that drives men to seek one diversion after another so that we do not have to reckon with how vain our lives are. 
You see, our flesh is never satisfied. Our flesh never has enough pleasure. It moves on from that moment of pleasure and says, let's do it again and again and again. And that's why so many of these sins walk hand in hand. Sexual sin and substance abuse, alcoholism and anger, lewdness and jealousy, fornication and heresy. You see, it's a continual and internal drive that happens within people. Man seeks to justify himself, and eventually he runs out of excuses, so he gets angry, or he gets drunk, or he pridefully tries to create a new standard of goodness and righteousness in his life. And that is what's happening in the world today around us, as people put God words into God's mouth in order to make their sinful behaviors acceptable before God. As we try to remake the will of God to suit our own desires and our own wills, what do we do? We destroy ourselves. Yet no matter how loud the world shouts, we're fine, we're good, we're just. No matter how much the world profanes the word of God, no matter how drunk a person gets in their own debauchery, this one truth is unavoidable. To walk in the flesh is to embrace death. To walk in the flesh means that we build our lives around the desires of our flesh. To work to gratify those desires. It's what directs our lives. As the flesh is what leads us by the nose each and every day, led by one wind of passion to the next. And we build our routines around our flesh so that I can get my next little tickle of pleasure. And to allow our flesh to lead us in such a way is to be led away from the gospel of Christ. We must not do that. And so we as Christians must seek to be led by the Spirit of God. We must desire those fruits of the Spirit of God. And that means that we must mortify our flesh. We must let it die and remain dead as we put our sinful desires and our sinful lusts and our sinful passions to death. As they die, they do not own us, they do not control us. How does that happen? How is our flesh put to death within us? How is that old sinful desire that dwells within us each and every day put to an end? The answer is whenever the gospel is preached. Whenever we hear the words of Jesus that say, I forgive you. When a Christian hears the gospel and repents of his sins, his or her sinful flesh is set aside as he clings nothing but the righteousness of Christ. The gospel does not give us room to justify ourselves. It cannot be replaced through numbness or substance abuse or virtual escapism. To work in us. It is either the gospel or nothing. Either you are a sinner that is freely justified by God as a gracious gift, or you are bound in your sin. It is the love of God that is demonstrated to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes saints out of sinners. And the only way to remove our sins is for them to be forgiven by Jesus. It is for them to go up upon the cross of Christ, to be nailed to that cross, and die. The only way to remove our sins is in Christ.
It is forgiveness that frees us from our flesh. It frees us to love. It frees us to contend with our flesh by putting its deadly desires to an end within us and fleeing from them. To be freed from our flesh does not mean that we're no longer tempted to sin. It does not mean that we no longer fall into the traps that are set before us by the evil one. It does not mean that we do not in some way desire the pleasures of our flesh to partake in them. What it does mean is that we're no longer slaves. We no longer walk in them. They do not direct or own our lives. We're not held captive by our sinful and deadly desires and temptations. They do not own you. Your sin does not own you if you are in Christ, and you are free to struggle against your sin. And that is because we have something new that drives us in this life. We are not bound to blindly move from one vain pleasure to the next. We are led by something altogether different and altogether better. We are given new motivation and new desire and new life. We are given a new heart by our God through the work of the Holy Spirit. We who were dead in our trespasses and we were dead in our sins have been made alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so to live according to the Spirit is to live in the gospel. It is to be given of our sins each and every day. It's to be able to recognize our sin for what it is and say, I'm opposed to that thing that dwells within me. As we follow Paul's admonition to the Romans, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That means that our lives are not driven by the desire of our sinful nature, but our lives have a new pilot, a new driver, and that's Jesus. Our lives are driven and guided and directed by the love of Christ alone. That means that even as our flesh vies for the authority to drive, motivate, and lead our lives, the Spirit of God is what is in control. It's what drives you. It's what leads you. It's what motivates you. As the Spirit directs our walk, there is a new man piloting our ship. He causes us to desire things that are presentable and lovely before God. He works faith in us so that we're freed from our sinful flesh and enabled to battle against it. We battle against it by repenting of our sins each and every day, by trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, as those deadly desires of the flesh are replaced with the holy works of the Spirit of God. As we read today in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such there is no law. These are the things that the Spirit leads us in. These are the ways that God directs us and bears fruit in our lives. These are the fruits of the life that trusts in the gospel. And it is not totally in our power to produce these good fruits. They must be worked in us by the hand of God. They can only flow from the inner working of his gracious spirit. Martin Luther had a father confessor. His name was John Staupitz. And he once said this. He said, More than a thousand times I have vowed to God that I would improve my life, but I have never performed what I vowed. 
Hereafter I shall make no such vows, because I know perfectly well that I shall not be able to live up to them, unless God is gracious and merciful to me for the sake of Christ and grants me a blessed final hour. When the time comes for me to depart this miserable life, I shall not be able to stand before him with all my vows and all my good works. In other words, he's saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I cannot discipline myself enough. I cannot work hard enough to perfect all of these fruits of the Spirit within me. All I can do is fall on my knees continually before God and His gracious gospel. That's all I can do. I will daily flee to Christ. I will daily repent of the works of my flesh. Every day I will fall into jealousy or anger or selfishness or vain pleasure, but I will recognize it for what it is. I will call it sin and the wicked fruit of my flesh, and I will run to my gracious and my forgiving God to seek pardon and peace from Him. And I will trust that He takes that sin away. And now I happen to do well, if I happen to demonstrate the fruits of these spirit, I will give credit where credit is due. I will say, this is not my own work. Rather, it is the Spirit of God at work within me. Praise be to Him alone. St. Jerome says the same thing in a different way. He says, Therefore, saints are those who believe in Christ, whether men or women, whether slave or free, and they are saints on the basis not of their works, but of the work of God, which they accept by faith, such as the word, the sacraments, the suffering, the death, the resurrection, and the victory of Christ, the sinning of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they are saints not by active holiness, but by passive holiness. See, we recognize that the fruits of the Spirit are the fruits of faith. They are the products of the gospel that is at work in our lives. Our sins are taken away, and all that remains is the holiness of Christ. That will produce fruit. The works of Christ are evident as Jesus changes us. As he forgives us, he changes who we are in the very core in our hearts, all the flesh, all the sin, all the evil, is put to death every day. What remains is Jesus and his holiness, his love, his righteousness. And so what does the Spirit of God do? How does the living Christ alter your life? What works and attitudes does he cause to flourish and grow in our lives? Well, the first fruit is love. It begins with love. Christ has loved you perfectly. And how is that love made manifest? In him giving himself over to death that we might have life in him. As the scripture says, God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the definition of love. Love is to give oneself over to the needs of another. Jesus fully gives. And this love is brought to the life in God's Christians. It's evident as God's Christians live according to their vocations and their callings. So when Christian spouses deny themselves and care for each other, or when Christian parents sacrifice and toil for their children and their families, when pastors labor over the word to preach that word, admonish their congregations, encourage them in the faith, when a Christian brother or sister deals patiently 
with their neighbor's weakness. When we forgive the unforgivable sins that are committed against us, when we suffer injustice without complaint for the sake of the cross of Christ, when we share good news of the gospel to those who find it offensive, when we joyfully prioritize the needs of our neighbor over our own, when we suffer insults and joyfully endure in the promises of Christ, when we do good only to be unrecognized and unthanked for that good, when we see no personal benefit in doing something for someone else and do it anyway, that is love. And this is the love of Christ at work in us and for us. These are the things that are alien to our sinful nature, which is preoccupied solely with itself. In the gospel, Jesus brings this to light and life. He makes these works of love a joy for us. And that is the next fruit. It's joy. It is joy to suffer for our neighbor. It is joy to deny ourselves. It is joy to endure pain in this life. That is what the gospel does. It creates joy in the mundane activities of love and faith. It produces joy in the midst of sorrow and suffering. St. Peter talks about it like this. He says, in this, the gospel, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you still love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You see, the gospel of Christ is so precious to us that we can rejoice in our suffering. He calls it an inexpressible joy that is full of glory. That's what the Spirit works in faith in the gospel. The flesh makes every pleasure into a joyless and fleeting experience. And so our sinful nature sees one pleasure, receives that pleasure, forgets about it, and moves on, and it's just this joyless drudgery of pleasure. It's like eating too much chocolate. You eat the first bite of chocolate, and it's good. You eat the second bite, it's a little less good. You eat the third bite, and your stomach hurts. But the Spirit of God in the gospel of Christ makes even our suffering joyful. As we suffer with endurance, as we suffer with patience, as we suffer in the gospel, as we endure the struggles and trials of this world, we have a joy that cannot be stripped from us because our sins are forgiven. We have the salvation of our souls. We have eternal life. And what more can be said about all the other fruits? Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentleness, self-control. These things are love put into action. These are the products of the gospel at work within us. It is the often unseen benefits of the life of repentance and faith. As we cling to the gospel, we're at peace with God and each other through the forgiveness of sins. We endure suffering and struggle with our faith intact because of God's promises being faithful. We can demonstrate kindness and goodness with integrity, knowing that these things are worked by the Spirit of Christ. We're free to have faith and be faithful because the one who is the object of our faith is reliable and truthful. We know what it is to be gentle because God has dealt gently with us poor sinners. We can live in discipline 
as we continually live as disciples of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God through His law and His gospel. These things are worked by the Spirit. And it all begins and ends with the love of God that is worked out for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To walk in the Spirit is to be led in this life through nothing other than the forgiveness of sins. To walk according to the flesh is to deny that forgiveness of sins. To say, I don't need it. I'd rather have these other pleasures in my life. It is to say that we either do not need it, we do not want it. And that condemns a person. That is a rejection of the gospel. And denial of Christ is the one true blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's to say, I don't need Jesus. To walk in the Spirit of God is to dwell forever in the gospel of Jesus. It is to live in mercy. It is to cherish the forgiveness of sins. It is to have your sins forgiven for the sake of the cross of Christ. It's to die to self and to live to God. In other words, we are to live in our baptism. That means that every day our sinful flesh and all of its desires are drowned and die with all sin and evil desires and that a new man daily emerges and arises to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So every day, when our old flesh rears its ugliness in our lives, we return to Christ. We repent. We call sin what it is. We reject it. We run to the security and safety of the gospel of Christ. We remember our baptism in which we are washed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We confess before God that we are, by nature, fallen and sinful, unclean. We commit unclean acts of thought, word, and deed. And we trust in his mercy. As we say, I'm not enough, but Christ is sufficient for me. We live in the gospel, and we live in the love of God. We delight in the work of the Spirit as that spirit works in our hearts and in our lives. And we deny ourselves and we follow Jesus. And we know that the gospel turns every hardship, every challenge, every difficulty, every struggle, into the per pure, perfect joy of the life that is led by the spirit and the forgiveness of sins. That life in which we live under the gospel is fruitful. It's abundant. It's good as we live by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we pray that you would cause us to see the fruits of our flesh and to sincerely repent of them. And we ask that you would send your spirit to fill us with true and enduring faith. Allow us to hear your word and receive your sacraments so that the gospel of Jesus is always at work within us and strengthen us to live in sincere repentance and firm faith so that our new lives in Christ continually bear abundant fruit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat>